This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And where does that get us? Well, that gets us to the idea of the AI and blockchain saving humanity from itself solving these big six problems of the human race? And what is the evidence that AI could ever do that? Well, in the fall of 2020, this stuff here in the background, protein folding, is many orders of magnitude more complicated than all those big six problems of the human race. And if I tried to explain it to you, or you tried to explain it to me, it would be impossible because the human brain cannot really wrap its head around how protein folding works. But yet computers solved protein folding completely in fall 2020, which gives us hope. There's a difference between a dream chaser and a dream catcher. Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and you're in for a treat today. Kim's already blowing my mind. Kim Solez is in with me from Alberta, Canada. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Looking forward to this. Yeah. So the folks who are not watching the video, you got to jump over to YouTube because there's some crazy things happening in the background. Kim, what's going on behind you? Well, this is like the journey with artificial intelligence, but it's sort of artificial intelligence reimagined as a child robot, but it's carrying a flower and it's in a very desolate region of like desert with mountains in the background you're wondering where that flower came from and then you notice the robot has an antenna uh, on the top so presumably he's the only one in contact with the rest of the world in this desolate area yeah and they're holding hands the young woman human and the child robot are holding hands And where does that get us? Well, that gets us to the idea of the AI and blockchain saving humanity from itself, solving these big six problems of the human race. And what is the evidence that AI could ever do that? Well, in the fall of 2020, This stuff here in the background, protein folding, 
is many orders of magnitude more complicated than all those big six problems of the human race. And if I tried to explain it to you, or you tried to explain it to me, it would be impossible because the human brain cannot really wrap its head around how protein folding works. But yet computers solved protein folding completely in fall 2020, which gives us hope that then AI can help solve these other big problems of the human race. It's just they're messy and they're associated with human suffering and all sorts of stuff like that. So doesn't that make it then more justifiable? If we have this powerful force, artificial intelligence, why don't we give it something important to do? Why is it messing around with things like protein folding when it could solve colonialism or systemic racism or climate emergency or nuclear war or, you know, COVID-19? Yeah, those other things. Why don't we get it to, to help us with that? And then what about if somebody concludes, but we don't need AI because humans can do this with, okay, <laughs> but humans aren't solving these things, but maybe just the threat of AI without ever artificial intelligence intervening will cause humans to come together and solve some of these things they obviously could solve, but haven't solved, right? So, yeah. Anyway, so there, in about three minutes, that, that's my whole story. But you may want some details now. <laughs> you could. For sure, right? So what's your connection to AI and why has it become so important in your life? And, right. you know, yeah. you're pretty bold to be asking some of these questions. Right, yeah. So I think that, one bit of background, what have I been doing the last 10 years? I teach a course on technology and the future of medicine in a medical school, in an academic environment of a university, the University of Alberta. It's important to say that because it's the only course like that in the world being taught in an academic setting. There are four other people teaching similar courses but they are professional keynote speakers who make their entire income from giving speeches. And so they're, they're very different from me. They're probably much better speakers than I, I am, but they don't have to be academically credible. They just have to put on a good show, right? So for 10 years, I've been giving this course. And so I spend most of my time talking about AI and blockchain and, you know, the morality of technology and stuff like that. And I know every point of view because, you know, the students and the people teaching in the course, we also have tech skeptics teaching in the course. So we have all different vantage points. So I know all the arguments of why AI can't do stuff or AI can do stuff or what the limits are, and yeah. And we have a lot of computing scientists teaching in the course, including Rich Sutton. And what's the significance of that name? Well, if you look up Edmonton and AI, you'll find that like in the whole world, we rank pretty high. And so there's Google DeepMind, 
which is headquartered in London, UK, and in Edmonton, Alberta. And so Rich Sutton is the best-known AI person here, and he teaches in this course of mine. And he has taught recently enough that if you go into my YouTube channel and just look at the recent videos, his teaching session is one of those. And he's about as close to like the international global leadership of AI as you can get. So, yeah. So you're teaching a course in the university. You've got connections to some of the best people in the world on the subject of AI. And you're trying to encourage people to apply this technology against some of the big problems that we have. Is that right? That's absolutely right. Yeah. Let me let me bring back that graphic. Now, you may wonder who made this graphic. You probably thought I went to Shutterstock or, or you know, Adobe Stock or something. But no, there's a student working with me who made this graphic. And you'll also find in our conversation, the basic goodness of human beings is also important. That's what's depicted here. And she also did this graphic. Her name is Ishita Mogi. And that name is kind of well known because she and I, in January 2018, started doing videos together, talking about fixing inaccurate depictions of AI in the future online. And you would expect what we would expect, which was that we would be ignored and nobody would do what we said. But the opposite (laughs) happened. So every video that we made people reacted to, they changed things so much so that if you now try to find the evidence for what we were complaining about, the only evidence is in the screen captures in our video. Otherwise, it's like it never happened. You say, oh, but they must be unimportant entities. But that's not so. Do you, what about the government of Finland? Does that sound like an important entity? So Finland is so proud of being this small, nimble country that can turn on a dime. And so they decided, uniquely in the world, that they were going to have a population that really understood artificial intelligence. So they put together a government teaching pro government course on AI. And it's free to everybody, and it people from outside the country can take it. So I decided to take that course. And I know it's something very predictable. You think, okay, the government is creating a course on artificial intelligence. Huh. I wonder what that would mean. So when you get to the issue of self-improving AI, what the course said is, you know, don't worry about a thing. We, the government of Finland, have your back. Don't lie awake at night worrying about AI taking your job or or replacing you. or Because every time self-improving AI wants to improve the next step, go the next step of improvement. They will need our approval. And we will have people just like you sitting on a committee deciding whether they could do it or not. 
And I thought, there's not a computing scientist in the world who thinks that's what self-improving AI means. Doesn't need human approval to go to the next step. It's independent, it's autonomous, you know? It, it can take over the world. So we did a video about that. And within three days, the government of Finland took that page of the course down. Then let's talk about Yuval Noah Harari, the best known tech writer out there. Most of your audience will know that name. And one of the salient features of Yuval's books is if you look at the front matter, promos, <laughs> what do the promos say? And it's so cool. The promos, one of the, the, the bold print promos says that uh, Yuval Noah Harari is so articulate, you can't even begin to argue with him. And indeed, we found almost no one was arguing with him. So we thought, well, let's see, see what happens if we argue. So every video started like this. He would introduce himself and say, I'm just a historian. I just point out the dangers. I don't have to provide any solutions. Just think about that for a moment. And then he goes on and talks but he always talks about solution so he said this is a bad preamble <laughs> it's a great video after the preamble but that's the wrong preamble because you get people pissed off at the very beginning because you're saying i'm just gonna tease you by telling you what's wrong and not give you any solutions but then you go ahead and provide solutions later so it's the worst possible preamble, the best possible video beyond the preamble. So he changed that right away. And then many other things, I won't bore you, but he's been extremely <laughs> responsive to our input. And so these people, do you think they say, hey, Kim Solas and Chita Mogi made this video and said we should change things. And so we, no, of course not. <laughs> They'd say, who's Kim Solis? I never heard that name. Why are you reacting to him, you know? So, so you just have to believe from the timing that the changes they make have something to do with the videos we're making, criticizing them. But that's what's really surprising. And, you know, those surprises continue to the present day. You would say, okay, well, yeah, and you were lucky. In January 2018, you did these videos advocating change and those things that you complained about actually change. But obviously your luck couldn't continue. <laughs> so you're just resting on your laurels from 2018, right? There's like no successes in 2021 at all. No, actually the opposite is true. And if you have to look at the problem that we have now, it's a very nice problem to have. People are being too deferential to us. We're not getting enough of a critique to make the appropriate changes and, and we're writing a grant, it would be good in writing a grant to know what criticisms people have. He could improve the text of the grant. And instead, people are being too kind and deferential and 
praising us and that sort of thing. And so that is, is indeed, that's the biggest problem that we have now is this lack of critique. And probably the video we're doing right now could help with that because people will hear me saying this and will say, well, I have a critique. Okay, well, we need what you have, have to say that because the problem at the moment is that I'm, I'm just sort of barreling along, you know, writing down my own ideas and people are not pushing back. Like you would think, wouldn't you? that this being the era of COVID, these are very difficult times. And so people feel frustrated. And when somebody has these wild ideas, you know, where it seems like the guy sees no upper bound of how big you can think, you would jump on him and criticize the heck out of him because you're frustrated You've been looking for a target, somebody to vent your anger on, and now you've discovered Kim Solis, and you're going to just tear him apart. Yeah, but that actually hasn't hasn't happened, you know? I grant that the anger is out there, and people are, are leading these frustrating lives, but they're not taking the anger out on me, despite the fact that I have these extremely big ideas. So where do the big ideas come from? So these big ideas, the students working with me, and you'll find, like I've, I've been working with, I surround myself with young people between the ages of 15 and 33. <laughs> I've done that my whole life. So I will want to talk to somebody during the day. I have, I have to talk to a young person. And the young people helping me write my memoir, we think this will be the first of several because it's kind of fun. They said, you know, we think you are neuroatypical in a positive way and that a personality test would identify what is so strange and weird about you. And, and yeah, so I, I agreed to take this test, but I secretly planned, of course, to tell no one because I thought it would so embarrassing, right? But it turned out that I'm like the poster child for personality tests. My openness to experience is sky high. And my neuroticism, worrying about things that don't need to be worried about is practically zero. And both of those things are quite far from the average human being. So this is the reason that the experience of interacting with me is so different. And it's the reason that I propose things that seem to assume there's no upper bound of how big you can think. And yeah, so, so we actually came up with a test that proved sort of what makes Kim Solas tick. And then the other students taking my course, they have also taken the same personality tests. So in, in the course, we change the course every term. If you are teaching a course about the future, it has to morph and change constantly. Otherwise, it's not a valid course. So in the fall of 2020, we did Coreplast or cardboard cutouts, life-size cardboard cutouts of all the students. Nobody had ever done that before. 
And then the, the students in the winter of 2021 all did um, personality tests of the same sort that I had done. So personality tests for normal individuals, yeah. So thus far in my usual fashion, I have uh, completely dominated the choice of topics. So you should now take over, right? And, and ask me some probing questions, right? And reclaim the, the leadership here and, and yeah, make the rest of this video turn out the way you had dreamed, yeah. <laughs> I am just so curious because so few people, I mean, the path is so windy here, right? So how did you get to the place where you were interested in artificial intelligence? Cause it's such an abstract idea concept. Like people think sci-fi sci movies when they start talking about artificial intelligence and artificial intelligence that improves and grows on itself. So, How'd you get into this space? Yeah, well, if you think about generating consensus, so that's what I've been doing. I mean, if you look at my Wikipedia page, it's about the Banff classification, which is solid organ transplant pathology, doing biopsies, transplanted organs, then trying to figure out what's going wrong with the transplant. So I created the standard for that 30 years ago in 1991 and ha have been maintaining it through worldwide consensus. You can only do that if you're at the cutting edge of whatever the technology of the day is. So in 1991, it was the fax machine. So I was an expert on facts. I was spending, you know, fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a year on facts. Yeah, and then the uh, internet came in '94, and I, I created like the first websites in kidney me medicine, kidney pathology, so on, and sent the first kidney images over the internet, stuff like that. And in order to keep this worldwide consensus going, I, I've had to become an expert on whatever the newest communication technology is. And you would recognize that's now closely tied to AI. When you look at your phone, I mean, everybody has something with a lot of AI in it that they are relying on. Yeah. So in a few words, that's where the interest in AI came. And then if you have, of course, technology in the future of medicine, that title of the course suggests that a lot of the course would be about AI and about sort of the ethics of human and machine interaction. Yeah, so we talk about that virtually every teaching session. So there have been 20 iterations of the course the past 10 years because I, I teach, teach it both terms. Yeah, so that's where the interest in AI came from. Now, with the, the, the grant that we're applying for, it may seem to you up until now 
like what is being described is unfair, right? Because it 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 doesn't give humans enough of, of a share in in you know decision making and is giving AI too much importance. So CIFAR, the Canadian Institute for Advanced Research, is very into diversity and and inclusion. And in fact, in the choice of team members, if I don't have a, a very diverse team, we will not get the grant. Doesn't matter how good our ideas are, but if they're all, you know, sort of Caucasian male team members, we will be dead in the water. So we have to have racial diversity gender diversity, every kind of diversity you can think of, or the grant will not succeed. So I'm spending a lot of time now as as we think of of expanding the team in the grant, going through lists of, you know, people in tech, people in AI, people in, you know, blockchain research who are from a you know, minority background. Yeah, because without that, I will be dead in the water. (laughs) I will be the last place. Yeah. If everybody else looks like me, then yeah, that is never going to work with this grant agency. And so like they have already surveyed everybody who's on my grant team, and it's very detailed. I mean, it's like details of of your, you know, gender assignment and all that sort of thing. They sort of go beyond. She thought anyone would ever ask you. We have already answered those questions. Yeah. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. How about wow. that, eh? <laughs> eh? <laughs> yeah. Canada, baby. So, all right. You're teaching the course on the cutting edge of organs. <laughs> so yeah. few people understand that. And that's really what your concentration is. Like, what were some of the challenges in getting the course up and running? Because I imagine some people looked at you and said, we don't need that. Like, why would you talk about that? Yeah. So I think I was talking about how well I'm, I'm being treated now and how deferential people are. That includes the leaders in the faculty of medicine here who are treating me very well. You know, you could imagine with these big picture ideas, they could shun me and (laughs) gossip about me and make my life a living hell, but they seem to be doing, you know, exactly the opposite. Yeah. So, So let's talk about the beginning. So the course began in 2011. And at that time, it it wasn't a real university course. It was like a CME course, you know, continuing 
medical education course, but not a course you could get credit for. The first semester that it was a regular university course was January 2012. And I was desperate. Um, so I actually put an ad in a newspaper. And you said, what newspaper? <laughs> Not a very good newspaper. It's a newspaper that they distribute for free on the LRT, on the train that you know people use to move around the city. And the, the ad cost me $500. And the day that ad for the course came out, one student registered as a direct result of that ad. I wonder if I'm going to have to pay like $500 per student for the rest of time, you know? So then there was one other student. So I had two registered students. And I gave credit here to the University of Alberta because I realized the optics of having only two students in the course wasn't very good. So I got a lot of my friends to come and told them how important it, it was for them to fill up the classroom and ask interesting questions and so on. But if you think back to the University of Alberta administration side, they knew there were only two students, right? It isn't like I was hiding it from them. The people walking past the room where we were meeting, it looked like we had seven or eight students. But the administration here knew that Kim Solos was teaching a course with only two students. And they didn't come crashing down and cancel the course or anything. And then the, the next term, it had five students. And then it you know, went, went up and up. So part of it is that at many institutions, it, it is probably a, a non-starter to have a course with only two registered students. But here, and it's sort of kind of embrace of diversity, right? Because you can imagine a lot of courses about unpopular non-mainstream subjects would get few registered students. And this is an educational institution where you can at least start a course that only has two registered students and people don't shut you down, right? And yeah, I, I and some funny things happened. The only way I could maintain good student registration in the early days was to advertise the course in every legal location for like postering and, and on the campus and who was putting up the posters i was so eventually medical student found me putting up one of my own posters and said this is like looking at wayne gretzky put up a wayne gretzky poster <laughs> so unusual that i'm glad you feel that way but that's the only way of course is gonna get anywhere I mean, because they you know aggressively take down old posters so you can't put up a poster and hope that it will stay up for a month so you have to keep walking the campus and yeah about four years ago that ceased to be the case and i don't have to do that anymore and the course is self-sustaining now but for the longest time it wasn't the other thing that sustains it is reddit 
you probably know Reddit. Well, Reddit, if you're just interested in cool courses at the U of A, they have always said that my course is one of the coolest courses you can take here. And just one, one sort of downer as you read the details is a student who says that once at least there was a student whose average in the course was 90%, and that student got a B plus, whereas you might think it would be an A minus. Yeah. So that has never happened. It doesn't mean no one ever said it ha happened. I mean, he may be talking about his girlfriend or his you know, significant other, and that's what they said happened. But that actually hasn't happened in the course. <laughs> so... I sort of corrected that on Reddit. And, and, and if you look at, uh, you know, there, there's these four various websites that rate professors, you know, and so I got a five out of, out of five there and so on. It's a very popular course. You may wonder how easy the course is. I thought in the beginning, the easier the course is, the more popular it would be. That's absolutely wrong because if a student tries to take a course that their advisor thinks is too fluffy and and non-rigorous that's not advantageous for the student to be proposing courses like that so there has to be rigor so we didn't used to have a midterm exam but i got criticism that it would be better for the students if we did have a midterm exam. And so now we do. Yeah. So it, it's, uh, it's a course that's easy if you think about endorphin flow, because if something is really fun, then it's easy to work on it. Right? And this course is really fun. And so you end up doing a reasonable amount of work, even if you plan to do nothing, just because the other students are so interesting too. And you don't want to be like the least interesting student in the course. So you're kind of naturally inclined to work on it, even if your initial private decision was to just take the course and coast, do nothing, right? So we haven't had a, a student who took the course and just coasted for about five years now. Wow. Sounds like they're signing up for a rocket ship journey, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say it's uh, pretty good. And rocket shipness is certainly there. We have a lot of uh, teaching about space and, and about things like, you know, the radiation dangers of space if, if you watch star trek you know the star trek world it's not really feasible as depicted there because of the radiation danger of being in space for those long periods and so yeah so we talk a lot about how to really enable a star trek like life uh, what it would take and of course, Elon Musk, who has proposed a lot of surprising things, has talked about re-engineering humans so they have these radio-resistant genes, as you find in certain kinds of bacteria. And there's uh, 
sort of water animal called the tardigrade. And you could incorporate what makes the tardigrade so radio resistant <laughs> into humans, but that would be the like a new species. So that sounds like a crazy idea, I'm sure, but that's what Elon Musk is, is proposing as a way enable a Star Trek life so, so we can easily travel into the radiation of space. So we talk about that. We also talk about mind uploading. In other words, no longer having a biological body, but uh, being completely digital, uploading yourself to a ceramic slab or something, then you can travel at the speed of light. Yeah, because the, there's no physical you anymore. And so I've told you that in fall of 2020, the big new thing in the course was cardboard cutouts of the students, life size. And the winter of 2021, it was personality tests. So now in the fall of 2021, we're doing virtual reality, augmented reality. It's called XR, sort of various combinations. Yeah. So that's the new feature of the course this term. Got it. So, Kim, what gift are you giving the world? I think the gift, so I visited uh, iconic Canadian poet, singer, songwriter, Leonard Cohen in 2005. And he said that I was serially surreal. In other words, surreal over and over and over again. So actually what the students tried to do with the personality testing is try to figure out, well, yeah, that's true, but how do we define that? You know, what does it mean? So I guess you can translate from that then. So Leonard Cohen also found my serially surrealness to be something positive and memorable. At his memorial service, a year after he passed, at the Bell Center in Montreal, a big uh, gathering of important people and celebrities, something unusual about <laughs> the program. The program was oversized and then kind of a big document, big pamphlet, and it contained only two pages of Leonard Cohen's notebooks. And I don't know why I can't account for this, but the two pages there are the two pages of the notebooks that reflect the link between my visit to him in November 2005 and the best song on his final album, the song Treat, and how, you know, the like after meeting me, I talked a lot about the Banff classification and borderline changes. And when I say that, that phrase, doesn't it like put you to sleep? You can think there's nothing less interesting than borderline changes. But anyway, he found this fascinating. So his first lyric when I left him was this lyric about treaty and stuff, but contained the word borderline five times. Does that sound to you like a successful lyric? No. So over the next 10 years, he then got rid of four of the five borderlines and made the lyric for the song Treaty. Yeah, so that's 
that's what those two pages the, those two pages weren't labeled they didn't mention me so it's sort of like other things that i've done where it's you know there's a lot of evidence that i had something to do with that but it's not like he was reaching out to me by name from beyond the grave no so yeah anyway so what i'm leaving to people what i'm offering to people i think is this idea that most people, when they think of what they can accomplish, what they can do, the impact they can have, and so on, they see an upper bound in that. They sort of make up what that upper bound is, and they say, I can't do more than that. Obviously, I can't. And whereas I don't see that. I don't see any upper bound. So like most people, they may have heard of Kardashev type one civilization, but they spend zero time thinking about it. So that's what this graphic depicts. And if you're worried about global warming, you'll realize once there's one of these mega structures around the earth, global warming will not be a problem anymore. We can make the temperature of the earth whatever we want. And so if that seems extreme or exciting, then Kardashev type two is doing the same thing with the sun. I mean, imagine having that much energy, capturing all that energy. Think of all, all the things you can do with that. So those are ideas much bigger than what most of your listeners are thinking about. And yet these are real things. This stuff will happen. It is our future. Somebody needs to be thinking about these big picture things. So am I going to make all these things happen? Am I going to personally create a megastructure around the earth or around the sun? No, no. I, our power is in inspiring other people to do stuff, right? As I started off talking about our videos that Ashita and I started doing in January 2018, they inspired other people to do things. And there is considerable evidence that we are able to do that. And that's how we will do these things. So I'm not going to be personally providing the fixes of these big six problems of the human race. I'm going to be inspiring other people. And yeah, anyway, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> the final question for you, Kim, is what, is the one thing you want the listeners to take away from this episode. So when you think about your choices in life, you probably think because the strong pre prejudice in, in, in this direction, that you should pick a path that others have already followed and follow that path and kind of conform in general. Don't stick your head out. Don't be the person in, in the picture who, <laughs> what was that guy doing there? But I have found that to be wrong. In almost every picture of me, I am the person sticking out. I look like I, I don't belong. And like, what the heck was I doing there? I've been providing the support for Tuesday Night Poetry with at-risk youth here in Edmonton. I'm 50 plus years older than everybody else there. I'm the only doctor, only academic, sometimes the only white person there. Yeah. So leading a life without precedent, doing something no one's done before is actually easier 
than following an existing path because nobody has any way to measure how well you're doing. Nobody's ever done it before. So however well you're doing, it's the best that it's ever been done. And it's just remarkably easy. It takes away most of the problems in life when you realize we need new approaches to things that a lot of things. So when you hear these words, oh, that's way too complicated as a reason for not doing something no one's done before. That assumes that people who do things that have never been done before know exactly what they're, be do what they're doing in the beginning, but they never do. And it doesn't matter. It's on the job training, right? Like when I began generating consensus, I'm at the head of this long table with people on either side. I say something and half the people there stiffen like, I can't believe he said such a stupid thing. I said something else and the other half the people would stiffen. I can't believe he did such a stupid thing. And I realized I better get better at this consensus thing. I'm really screwing up here. But I was the only one doing it. And gradually I did get better. And, and so it's remarkably easy if you set out to do something no one's done before to succeed with it. All sorts of accidental things happen. So it's like this uh, idea that boldness is magic and, and brings to it all sorts of other unforeseen things that will help you. When you take that bold step and start something nobody's done before. And, and, and if you look at what I've done that a lot. Yeah. And um, so that's my message. The life without precedent is easier than a life with precedent. <laughs> How about that? Awesome. <laughs> awesome. 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 You got to be willing to blaze your own trails, ladies and gentlemen. Kim, thank you so much for taking on this wild ride through AI and medicine. And to the listeners, your dreams should be real. We'll talk right. soon. So justmachines.com is where you can find what you've just been listening to. Spelled just as you would think, J-O-S-T-M-A-C-H-I-N-E-S.com. Got it. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real. <laughs>